0: At Snarky Face, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round
1: of Snarky Faith Radio. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney, and welcome again here for another week in the Snark Dome, or whatever the heck you want to call it, (laughs) on our radio show called Snarky Faith Radio. So welcome again this week. And in this week, as we begin to descend into all of the insanity of Christianity in America, uh, we are going to be, well, the tip, how about this? So, recently Greenland, Greenland that's not for sale, that Greenland, also held a, it was kind of a memorial service for one of their lost, Glaciers. I going not say iceberg. I think it's more of a glacier. They, they, held, they held a ceremony for the Lost Glacier. And, and in that, it was a time for them to be able to remember what was. And, and any time that we begin to descend into things, uh, especially when we're, when we're looking at death and when we're looking at the end of an era, uh, it makes us reflect back onto what has happened, what has transpired, what has brought us to this place. So, in honor, not really, <laughs> I was going to say in honor of the glacier, not really, but uh, we are going to be talking a little bit about today, our main kind of topic, will will the tip of the iceberg, the tip of the glacier, uh, it's going to begin talking about the issue of swearing and evangelicals. That's right. We're going to be talking about mother swearing! See what you guys did. See what you guys did. I get so excited about this show that I ended up kind of getting into that higher octave. That higher octave that's kind of the the going, hearkening back to the 80s hair bands when I was I was doing it. I was swearing for you. I was swearing. Not really. <laughs> the purpose of the show is not how many times Stuart can use a sensor beep. Hopefully it will not be that many. Um, but we want to be able to talk about Really, the main idea is is justification. Evangelicals continue justification of Trump. Meaning, how do you keep putting up with mom's new boyfriend? That's right. Yeah, yeah. In the church, we don't like it. We don't always like it, but we got to justify mom's new boyfriend. And, uh, And yeah, yeah. Supposedly the church's new boyfriend is Donald Trump And we're not, you know, we're like the stepkids We're not too sure about this guy He's kind of weird And not really kind of weird He's really, really, really weird And uh, says a lot of weird stuff Does a lot of weird stuff mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's right, American Christianity Mama's got a new boyfriend And his name is Donald Trump He's not your daddy He's not your daddy But he's the guy Who's just hanging out at the house you know, it's kind of like the church and God are in like a separation period where they're really rethinking their roles. They're rethinking, of well, do we really love each other? Actually, it's more the church than it is God. So I think God's been fairly clear about his feelings about the church for several thousands of years. But I feel like the church nowadays here, at least in America, they're kind of, you know... I wasted my good younger years on you, God. Now, now there's this new guy, and he kind of makes me feel young and excited. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sadly, mm, divorce may be in the future. So <laughs> that, oh, sorry. That analogy. I th- think that analogy went a little, a little far. But you're getting the idea. You're getting the idea. We're going to be talking about how the evangelical evangelicals continue to justify. That continue to justify all of it And how it's going So we may do a bit of heavy lifting today But before we get to that We've got We've got We've got to hop into The Christian Crazy of the Week And here we
0: go Claude Hemmers The Lord is my shepherd He'd know what I want <laughs>
1: So first up in the Christian Crazy, actually first up and second up in the Christian Crazy this week, we have Mark Taylor. Now Mark, Mark is a prophet. Mark's a prophet. So you know, when someone self-labels himself prophet, we know, we know this guy is of good, solid quality. Mark's been featured on the show before because Mark is a loon. And, and, sadly, we're kind of at that point, have you ever noticed this, like, generally within TV watching, like, there's, like, a summer slump, and then, like, you know, we get back into the program schedule of all your favorite shows in the fall. Yeah, I kind of feel like we're doing that with a little bit of the Christian crazy. Some people have kind of taken taken the summer off a little bit with their crazy, but, you know, they're going to be back. They're going to be back rocking it better than they've ever rocked it before. So, so in this time, again, I'm not trying to, like, aim low here. I'm just saying is that we're just going to get a double a double dose a double portion of mark taylor so we're gonna start out first we're gonna start out first with mark who is a uh, trump justifier trump apologist trump was something simple wumpa wumpa something that he is yeah mark's a whole lot of a lot of things but first let's go ahead and listen to what mark how mark feels like prophetically like in the spirit what his soul is telling him, what the Lord is telling him in the spirit about how God is using Trump right now. Because you know it's going to be good. Mark doesn't disappoint. So Mark,
2: Mark, go ahead and give us your crazy crap. Here you go. God's separating the wheat from the chaff. Yes,
1: Yes,
3: And
2: I get the emails every day. Mark, what do I do? My husband or my wife or my daughters won't talk to me. My sons won't talk to me. Uh, You know, it has split families apart, literally, over this whole Trump thing. Uh, I mean, I I get them every day, guys. And there's something to do with the second that Donald Trump was put in office.
1: So I actually want to give here a little bit of points for Mark for noticing a trend. For actually noticing that something that was happening in the world around him, like kind of like, you know, equating to object permanence. He saw something moved and something happened. Oh, my goodness, Mark. You're learning, buddy. You're learning. So, Mark... We're hoping to eventually inch him, inch him just a little further towards actually logic and reasoning, but that's too much at this stage right now. It's kind of like infant brain syndrome here. And so Mark is saying, I'm noticing, I'm noticing a lot of people writing me that somehow my family members are calling me a bunch of a-holes because I continue to support Trump and continue to speak in weird and bigoted and misogynistic ways. So, there's a trend, but what does that mean? What does it mean, Mark? What does it mean? What does it mean, Mark? What does it mean? Go ahead and tell us, buddy, because he's not quite there. He's not figuring it out. Like, you you just want to push it towards him and be like, here it is, buddy. Here it is. Just see it.
2: But not Mark. It's not ready yet. Mark's not ready. It activated something in the spirit. We crossed a timeline prophetically in the spirit that this is what's going to separate the wheat from the chaff right now. You're going to see this, this judgment so far. And I'm not saying they can't be saved. Don't get me wrong. But there's this judgment, if you will, of a, of exposing people as their true character and who they are. Um, you know, it's almost like uh, um, people attack me all the time. Oh, you get one thing wrong. You're a false prophet. That's not what a false prophet is. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, I don't know if, I don't know of anybody, myself included, that is flowing in hundred percent accuracy on the earth right now. I'm not saying it's not coming because I believe at some point there, there will be some people that there are. But that's not what makes a false prophet. What makes a false prophet is the character of man. It's mm-hmm. the corrupt character. You what? judge a prophet by his fruit. So actually,
1: I like kind of what Mark is bringing out here uh, where he's trying to seem like he's open to being false or fallible in this, in this. And so I think that like what Mark is, he, he's not saying this, but I think he is saying this because I'm going to put my words in. this. File. I think Mark, here's, here's, here's what I think we need to do folks. I think we need to judge people that are self-appointed prophets nowadays Prophets, um, Cause in the old Testament, I, when we had the prophets in the old Testament, I don't remember them necessarily just going ahead and just like putting that mantle on themselves. They kind of just were prophets and lived out the harsh reality and lifestyle of being a prophet, right? So what Mark is actually throwing out here in a time where the church is inundated with false prophets and people that are just televangelists and money grabbers and charlatans and, you know, all those, those folks. I like it. I like it, Mark. And I'm going to give you credit for this, even though you, you didn't quite say it, but you led us there. I think you did in the spirit. It's prophecy right here, people. I think we need to establish some sort of like a batting average for prophets, because Mark's like, "Well, prophets don't always get it right." Well, we're not always getting it right. Like, I think we should be able to gauge stuff, like a batting average of these so-called prophets. So then again, we can kind of look at the stats and and see how accurately God is speaking through these folks. I I, I do. I, I think this is. We should establish some sort of a league. Um, like a league of prophets, where we can have some sort of a baseline of what does it mean to kind of hit a single or double or triple or home run in your prophecies, so then we can establish some sort of a baseline of a, of a yeah, a batting average or a, profiteering average or a prophetic. Average average I don't really know I mean you know it's in the works it's in the works this is a work this is a work in progress it's a work in progress come on Mark (laughs) I'm just trying to deal with what you give me here Um, but (laughs) I think that actually would be fantastic if someone could come up with some sort of an algorithm where we could like gauge the current day profits with their, some sort of a, their, their, their batting average for how often they are honest and not honest. But most of them probably would not want to be able to do that because the idea of, of knowledge and, and prophecy, those, no, 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 there's a lot of subterfuge within all of the works they do as quote-unquote profits, but I did tell you we were going to have a double dose earlier on the show of Mark. So that, that was just kind of to wet in the appetite. That was kind of the appetizer of the Christian crazy with Mark. Now, now I, I introduce to you uh, your, your entree. I give you your main course of your meal. Mark, Mark, please go ahead. The floor is yours. Because if you thought that last thing was crazy... <laughs> that truly was the appetizer. So, wetting that appetite.
2: <laughs> the main meal is served here. Mark? One of the Anons had said that they're preparing for a royal funeral in the next eight days. They just sent a new honor guard group to uh, D.C. to prepare for Jimmy Carter's funeral. Wow. That prophecy I wrote, the evil crew of 32, when I mean, the Lord was telling me when one goes, the other one won't be far behind. Bush died November of last year. If this comes true, this will be the second one right here.
1: You see, Mark's already into this, right? He's laying out past prophecies and saying, right on, right on. And I believe at what he's saying here, he's kind of whipped it out right here. He's whipped out his propheticness and is saying, hey, everyone, look, because someone else is going to die, because that's not really what prophets are about. But Mark's a little bit of a special prophet, special prophet. Because over the next minute or so, it's only gonna get crazier in here. (laughs) Mark does not disappoint in the Christian crazy
2: this week what about this one this one's the one i can't verify maybe you can is john roberts they said his name was mentioned in there as going twice now they said they didn't say scotus they said it was a guy named john roberts so they can't verify if this is the one now if he's the one you and i both know that little witch called rbg's been there multiple times larry nichols told me himself years ago there was pedophilia on that court But if John Roberts has been there, that means RBG's been there. Which, if that's the case, then that might be the scandal God's been talking about. The three would be taken down in a scandal. Who's the third one?
0: Well, I can tell you Ruth Bader Ginsburg is really behind a lot of the
2: abortion rulings. She's a witch from the pit of hell. Oh, yeah. She's the one that ruled that. 12-year-olds should be able to have sex in her dissertation or whatever it was. So she's got to be a pedophile. And if that's the case, then this is the scandal that God was talking about where three would would go down on the SCOTUS because they would demand their resignations if that was the case. And so who's the third unknown? That's what I want to know because there's another one in there somewhere.
1: Kind of feels like we're playing the game of Clue right now. So which member of the Supreme Court was in the observatory? And which was the, use the pedophile weapon with the wrench. I don't even, what? What? You know, you know, you know, you know. These prophecies, they kind of all like, they kind of all range with only like certain sins. So it's like demonic or it's like pedophiles. It it kind of feels like there's like a limited list of Mad Libs for a lot of these prophets to be able to use. It's like A, B, C, or D. And that's all we got. Come on, God! Stop using systematic testing! Geez, Lord! It's 21st century here. God! (laughs) No, I'm joking. What? What? What, Mark Taylor? Oh, but that's exactly why you're on the Christian Crazy, because you're nuts. And I really want to somehow... Someone needs to figure out a way for us to be able to invoke this whole prop prophetic batting average. I think it needs to be a thing for someone that's way smarter than I am. But, but we're not out of the Christian crazy yet, but we're going to use kind of this this last bit of Christian crazy as kind of a of a bridge as you will, a bridge into our main story. And this bridge may involve some swearing. And this bridge may involve some of Donald Trump. But this is all things that have been pulled from the news. So I'm not making this up. I'm not like Mark Taylor, where I just make crap up. No, I'm giving you a basis for what we're talking about today. You got it? All right, here we go. So our last bit of the Christian crazy is is the, kind of the landing point uh, towards transitioning towards what we want to talk about today. And it comes from an article from Politico. Uh, Politico... And it's by Gabby Orr. The article is entitled "Using the Lord's Name in Vain: Evangelicals Chafe at uh, Trump's Blasphemy." And what what kind of the uh, I'll kind of give you the background swirl of this article was uh, when are we at here? Like a month ago, when Trump was having one of his ongoing rallies uh, in Greenville, North Carolina, uh, the state that we're in here. Yay! Uh, that was the rally where they started chanting, Send her back. Anyone remember that one? Oh, man, one of the greatest hits there. Yes! And the heart of this article, which I found really, really interesting, and what it comes at for this, and I'm gonna, I'll quote the article here. It says, uh, um, Paul um, Hardestry didn't pay much attention to Donald Trump's campaign rally in Nor- Greenville, North Carolina last month until a third concerned constituent rang his cell phone. The residents of of Hardestri's district, um, whom are Trump supporting uh, in West Virginia, are calling to complain that Trump is using the Lord's name in vain. So, let's just paint the picture. Let's just go ahead and just paint the picture of where we're at here. All the other stuff that Trump does. All the other stuff that Trump says. All the stuff from Trump's past. All the porn stars we've paid off. All of that. And this article is like centering on this idea that, that evangelicals are having for the first time a bit of a pause when it comes to Trump, where they were just like, hmm, this, this is ruffling my feathers. What? What has he done now? He was. Our Cyrus, our David, our, our chosen one. But then he went and had a potty mouth. Oh, oh, clutch the pearls. What has he done? What has he done? Or actually, more aptly put, what hasn't he done? But the straw that broke the Cheetos back was swearing. Was swearing, not just any swearing, was taking the Lord's name in vain. Trump said, God. He really did. He said it. He said it. And you're assuming I said it too. Right? (laughs) Because I know I have people that like to hate listen to my show as well, too. So did I say that word? Did I not say that word? Did I just say the word God and then throw in a censor beep? Or did I actually say this? I don't know. Because in all honesty, that's honestly not what taking the Lord's name in vain really means. It's not. It's not. It's not. But, but you still don't know if I did. You still don't know if I did, so if you want to claim that I did, that really sounds very judgmental, because you don't really know that I did, and I might be just trick you into sinning. Ho <laughs> ho, Aren't I the devil today? So take away one from our talk about Christians justifying Trump as their political. Political on, like, the small end, but savior, savior complex. So whatever it is. I, I think that, like, many others conflate it much larger than that. But let's just let's just let's give him the benefit of the doubt, and we'll just say as a political savior. So what we've learned so far is that all that he's done thus far, the things that were dehumanizing, uh, unloving, uncompassionate, uh not really graceful things that kind of look nothing like Jesus, but everything that looked like Rome during Jesus' time, those things, through all of the myriad of horrible things that Trump has done. The fact that Trump said GD is 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 uh, is is a mm, it's a no-go for certain. Not even no-go, but it's a pause. It's a pause. So let's just take a pause here and think about that. Out of all that Trump has said, that he's done, that, that, that evangelicals and conservative Christians have justified him for, the fact that he said G.D. was the first time that they had a pause in him being God's elect so the conversations of Mexicans being rapists or the bands of people from other. Coal countries, none of that. No, no, okay, no. Let's not worry about that. Okay, so all, all that he continues to do, and and the fact that he continues to just lie at a historic level. I know Trump likes breaking records, and he's doing it with his lies. So the fact that he, on a regular basis, doesn't even tell the truth. None of that. None of that creates pause. But at a rally, Trump says "GD" a few times, and that. That is the first time That folks are like What? Wait a second I didn't like that I like the rest of him No, don't get me wrong But that part made me feel A little uncomfortable in my spirit The fact that it only made you feel a little uncomfortable in your spirit, and the fact that it was the first thing that made you uncomfortable in your spirit is very telling for conservative and evangelical America. Oh boy. Oh boy. And that's why we are talking about what we are talking about today. So transcending from the Christian crazy. Let's now hop into this. Now this is an article that uh, recently came out, um, in the Washington Post. And it's entitled this. He gets it. Evangelicals aren't turned off by Trump's first term. What? (laughs) They're not turned off. They're turned on. Oh, baby, they are. So turned on. So in the article, the Washington Post, they interviewed 50 evangelical Christians in three battleground states, Florida, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. And what they were trying to do here uh, was to ask them about what they want in a president, why they either support or don't support Trump, and and what are the issues that really matter to him. And one of like the summaries they gathered here from this was that evangelical voters, because again, let's let's remind you, last election. 80% of evangelicals supported Trump. Now, this one, as we're moving towards this, we're around 70%, so there's been a slight loss um, of support, but I'm not sure how much of that's an actual loss. I, I also think that people have become aware that they uh, publicly supporting Trump is not seen as good um, or righteous, and so I think people are also hedging their bets again a little bit here. So... Uh, but here from this article, this is what they found from interviews with evangelical Christians in these states. They found uh, that the evangelicals by and large see a president who acts like a bully, but is fighting for them. And they quote, uh, see here from the article, they a president who sees America like they do, a menacing place where white Christians feel mocked and threatened for their beliefs, a president who is against abortion and gay rights, and who has the economy humming to a boot. And as some of them said throughout this article, that you take the good with the bad. You take the good with the bad. So you take the wins, and you also suck up the losses. So let's just summarize very quickly. So the issues that these evangelicals were saying that matter to them, that they feel like their president is, is worth following after, was the fact that he is against uh, LGBTQ rights, especially when it comes to marriage. So they have issue with that, and they are willing to put up with however horrible this president is for that. They are uh, willing to put up with however ungodly this president is over what they perceive to be abortion rights. And on top of it, they want to add to the mix, hey, as long as the economy's humming and I'm doing well in my pocketbook, sweet. Because... God cares about your pocketbook said nowhere in scripture ever. But I digress. So in my most honest, and I'm not necessarily trying to be disgusting with using this kind of, uh, well, I'll go and say it. So it really just feels like evangelicals from, from the election to where we're at right now, they have just become fine with sloppy seconds. Meaning that, that they are fine as long as they kind of get the scraps from the table And whatever else is going on, it makes them still feel like they matter. Again, this is still a white privilege thing that's kind of roaring on here. But yeah, but yeah. And most of what we wanted to be talking about here this hour um, is hopping through. What are those justifications? How do conservative Christians continue to support Trump in an overwhelmingly... Well, in an overwhelming manner, after all we've seen of him, after all we've seen of his insane tweets, uh, the fact that he rambles like an incoherent person that is drunk and has dementia at the same time, after we've seen all of his, narcissi- or his narcissism just on display to the country, <laughs> well, as long as there's money, the economy's good, because God cares about the economy, as long as uh, we got abortion rights and gay people... Are feeling a little bit threatened. We're good here. We're good here in America. I'll take, I'll take all the bad with the good as long as those things continue to roar forward. Amen. Amen, brother. Amen, brother and sister. Oh, gosh. Because anytime the church becomes about, or the follow. let me take that back. Anytime the followers of Christ become about their preference and the world somehow bowing to them, and their privilege Christianity is in a very, very scary and sad, sad spot. so whip out the hankies because that's where we're at and as we continue this conversation i do I do want to mention that uh, with all these articles I'm compiling, I was not specifically looking for this, but uh, through the ones that we have kind of talked about for um, have all like been in the realm of why do evangelicals still support Trump or Trump gets us why they continue to still support us. So again, these, these are, these are articles I'm pulling. They're, they're pulling from very, from various surroundings and places like from the guardian, from like from Europe and from other places around here. And that question still continues to emanate. And and I feel like this is a question that, that in many ways that America also is, is very curious about, and and I would hope, I would hope that this this question would be something that would concern Christianity in America. I don't think it does, but <laughs> I'm telling you, I think it should. It should. Because we've got articles here from the religious uh, religion news service. We have the uh, an article here from the Atlantic, and I have an article here from the Guardian. And also another one from the Atlantic where there's these similar questions that continue to spur up because because people are wondering how, how, how you've preached Jesus, you've preached morality for all these years, especially for those on the liberal side. They have felt that conservatives have pushed morality, morality, morality down their throats. They've been judged by morality, morality, morality. And now the new Messiah has no morality what's the deal? What's the deal with this evangelicals? Which is the question that everyone's asking and that I'm asking this hour too. So as we're unpacking this, uh, Religion News Service did, uh, has this very fascinating um, study that they had done here. And it was about the, the demographics of evangelical population by a whole. And as they break this down, um, we have 24.9% come from a rural area, 19.2% from a town, uh, 14% from the suburbs, and only 9.8% in the city. And a lot of what they're focusing on here is the the feeling of a swing vote within the evangelicals comes and can be blamed so heartily on the suburbs. Again, the suburbs being the place that, Whereas I feel like when we were talking about what matters to people most, probably from the town and the rural aspect of it would probably be LGBTQ rights uh, mattering to them in the negative and abortion rights mattering to them in the negative. And as we begin to move towards the city, we hit the suburbs and, and uh, the urban areas. And I would say this from, from just my reading and just for me knowing the way people work, it really feels like the economics will matter more there. So the economy matters more to certain areas, whereas some of the ideological areas of, of Trump support will matter in the other ones as well, too. So that's very important for us to be able to kind of hold on to as we're, as we're really identifying and looking into what the hell's going on here. And for religious news service is, at least for my opinion, they're more moderate towards slightly conservative leaning. They're, <laughs> they're, their uh, summaries they would have here is this. Uh, they say the data is clear white evangelicals are overwhelmingly Republican and they strongly support Donald Trump and his policies. And it's becoming nearly impossible to be white and evangelical and anything other than a Republican. And they also say that evangelical leaders, uh, thought leaders, are in a tough spot and they have to continue to make their religious traditions look radically and politically diverse and some urban churches look like that but by and large by and large they are having a problem because to follow the way of trump and to follow the support of trump also means that you are further and further divorcing yourself from reality you hear that folks to continue to follow the words of trump because this is this is a weird thing i we we know that hating the lgbtq is 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 something that arouses them, and we know that being anti-abortion arouses them, and we also know that money, 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 money arouses them. But, but,
3: when you are investing
1: in that kind of an ideology, you're also, you know, it's kind of like the, uh, if, like that, that old phrase, if you lay with dogs, you get fleas. It's not as simple. And I'm not going to give evangelicals the pass. Especially white evangelicals that say, oh, I'm only Trump. I only follow Trump because of these policies. I don't give you a pass for that. I don't give you a pass for that. I don't give you a pass for that. Because A, your reasoning in scripture is fairly dubious. And B, everything else and how it gels with scripture because what I will push back on a slight aside here is that hey if you really care about abortion you should also look about um, how we look at abortion along look at it along <sighs> economic lines um, race lines and things of that nature because a lot of this comes back to simply just being an issue of health care it's an issue of health care. And if you follow Trump, because you only care about your pocketbook, there's also scripture that will have an issue with you too. So hopping to our next article, <laughs> which kind of, uh, you gotta love it. You gotta love it when the title gives you everything you want. Uh, this comes from uh, The Atlantic, Uh, the title is the deepening crisis in evangelical Christianity subtitle support for Trump comes at a high cost for a Christian witness is by Peter Werner. I hope that's how I'm pronouncing it. (laughs) Or I could say wiener. I'm thinking it's Werner. So what Peter did here in this article, much like what he had in, in, in his subtitle, um, is beginning to talk about how much, and see, I think, I believe, that Christianity has not counted the cost. They've not counted the cultural cost for supporting Trump. Now, I feel like evangelical and conservative Christianity has tried to look to what matters to them most at that moment in a very selfish manner, And they have not counted the cost for going all in, part and parcel, with this just bag of flesh and immorality that we call President Trump. They have learned to live in a way where they ignore all the obvious signs that there is trouble here. They ignore all of the immorality. They ignore it all, and they make excuses about it. But that, in the long run, is incredibly problematic for the Christian church in America. So we know the bad, but I want to quote from the article about the good, because I do want to be able to paint where there are good, where there's hope, where there's in this and they say this in the article, evangelical Christians need another model for cultural and political engagement. And one of the best I'm aware of has been articulated by the artist um, Makioto Fujimura, who speaks about cultural care instead of cultural war. So I, I think this is important. Cultural care instead of cultural war. According to Fujimura, Culture care is an act of generosity towards our neighbors and culture. Culture care is to see our world not as a battle zone in which we're all vying for limited resources, but to see the world of abundant possibilities and promise. The article continues saying what Fujimura is talking about is a set of sensibilities and dispositions that are fundamentally different. That are fundamentally different from what we see embodied in many white evangelical leaders who frequently speak out on culture and politics. The sensibilities and dispositions of Fujimura um, is described, uh, is describing are characterized by a commitment to grace, beauty, creativity, and not antipathy, disdain, and pulsating anger. And that's the difference between an open hand and a mailed fist. And we've talked actually about that before. I've heard people preach about this before, and we've talked about this on the show, the difference between having a closed hand and which looks like a fist and an open hand. And the article continues saying this, building on his time, uh, building on the scene, Mark Labberton, uh, a colleague of Fujimura's and the president of Fuller Theological Seminaries, my alma maters, uh, Largest multi denominational seminary in the world has spoken about a distinctive way for Christians to conceive their calling from seeing themselves as living in a promised land and demanding it back to living into a faithful and exilic life. Laberton speaks about what it means to live as a people in exile, trying to find the capacity to love in unexpected ways, to see the enemy, the foreigner, the stranger, and the alien, and to go towards. Them rather than away from them and asked that a life of faithfulness looks like what it looks like compared to a life that others in the world fear and, and I feel like we're at a place in Christianity when we need to do that Jesus, Jesus was hallmarked by his desire to move towards those that did not have power those that were forgotten by the empire. Jesus lived like an exile in his own culture. And in many ways, he was an exile. I mean, he was, he, was, he was a Jew that was living in the shadow of Rome, a major power, but also at the same time, he was a Jew, and there were many others that were culturally below him. There were Sadducees, there, there, were, there were prostitutes, there were those that were... Uh, That were sick and that were cast away. And Jesus moved into those places where culture said no. When culture said no, we want to leave those in leprosy behind, Jesus said, I want to go there. When Jesus said no, these women, they're prostitutes that we don't care about them, Jesus says, I will go there. These, these samaritans that, that were that were seen to be unclean in the, in the Jewish eyes at the time Jesus said I will go there those that were that were infested by demons Jesus said no I will go there and and as we started off our hour talking about fake voices of, pro- of prophecy those those that are out that I was snarkily saying that we uh, want to have or I want to have personally not we me personally, I would love to be able to see people's batting average. As much as I, I follow baseball, I wish there were prophets that have a batting average that so we could see what they're really about and are the words they are speaking actually God's words or they words that are fueled by personal ambition, politics, and greed. And in my fear, my fear, because one of these things I, I, I was noticing, too, as I, as I kind of run through the stories of, of politics and finding things to talk about here on the show, there, I saw this other trend that was talking about Christian influencers being bad things. Meaning that, the, as we have talked about on the show, the preachers and sneakers, the, the, uh, the wealthy pastors that are hip and cool, uh, many people are having issues with those people being the new mouthpiece of Christianity. Now, part of the problem with the fact is, is that Christianity is wrestling for, who's our mouthpiece? That should be me. I want to be the mouthpiece. I want, I want, I want. So you end up having those that are the uh, influencers and those that are the haters, wishing they were the influencers. But we're not talking about that. We're We're not talking about that. Those are kind of like petty Kardashian struggles within the faith which at any point which at any point I will put out there have probably been Kardashian struggles within the faith. There've been those the prima donnas that care about stuff, but then there's always been those those that really honestly care about like the the ways and the truth and the teachings of Jesus that 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 say that my heart breaks for those that are under the foot of the empire. My heart breaks for those that are terrified when ICE is doing raids upon families. That my heart, my, my heart that is like Christ breaks when people in the LGBTQ community feel like they have no place to go. where they feel like the God does not love them because of who they are. And, and in this, and in all of this, I continue to come back to the point where I am very moved and I am very grieved
3: in the way that evangelicals
1: over the past 50 years, if not more, have made the church into a, a space that is not safe.
3: Because at its core,
1: The church is a safe place. It is a hospital for sinners. It is a place for those that do not even believe in themselves anymore to go to where they can believe that God believes in them. It's a place where grace should abound. Compassion should always be on
3: the menu. But it's not
1: in the times that we live in. And for me, that grieves me greatly. I, I, I get lots of emails uh, from the show. And on one, on one line, I, I, I want to be as snarky as possible to say uh, a shout out to Mother Superior! Total inside joke there. You know who you are. You know what I'm saying. But secondly, um, I I, I recently also had another, another letter for someone that said, finally, someone else that gets it, someone else that can help me see that I am not crazy when I am seeing that the church has become insane. And this person spoke very deeply and passionately in this letter about how they have been told they are the problem because they don't fall in line. They are the problem because the pastors are the people that interpret scripture. Dangerous place if you hear that. If You ever heard that one? That's a red effing flag. And this person just came back from all of this, from all the stuff they've been through. They ended up asking me the question of how do we fix it all? How do we fix it all? My
3: honest answer is I'm not quite sure. But
1: where I stand, where I'm at right now, as a person that has been through it, as a person that's been a pastor, that has been in systems, um, as a person, again, another uh, someone was reading me today and said uh, uh, recently that, uh, well, I'm not from the same theological camp as you. I'm from a, a four-square camp. And I was like, dude, I have worked for Southern Baptist churches. I've worked for four-square Pentecostal churches. I've worked for churches that are in the middle. And I kept seeking a place
3: where I would find a
1: tribe that would get it. But I am a person, and for those that know me, for those that don't know me here, just know my voice online, feel free to, uh, feel free to distrust what I'm saying here. And I'm telling you this because you probably should. Uh, because you don't know me personally. Because I, I do, I do, I want part of what our, we do on the show to help Christians become more discerning about the voices, the mouthpiece, or the prophets they follow after but I will tell you this from my own true story. And you can uh, look from past, (laughs) from past shows that have been going on for many years and hopefully begin to see where, where my heart is at. But I I was, I was on a place where I was always looking to find my tribe. I was looking to find my place where the God that I knew from my own experiences made sense, where judgment did not reign, where, one-upsmanship did not reign, where it wasn't about a popularity contest, where it wasn't about money and power or politics. Now, I am not saying that those places do not exist because I am one man, and I have faithfully drug my family around this sweet country that we live in. I have worked in churches on both coasts and a little bit in the middle. I have spoken at churches all throughout the United States.
3: And one thing that I come back to is this. The sad fact is, is that the church seeks to make sure
1: that itself continues to reign is that the individual church in America cares more about itself than it actually does about American Christianity or even really about the congregation. And I know you may say that that's a really, really hard line for me to take. But, but, on those lines, I'm going to hop to one of our furthermore articles that we have here. It's from The Guardian. Um, again, very much in our trend of topics. Uh, this is by Tim uh, Farron. And the article is called, Why do U.S. Evangelicals support Trump? They're giving Christianity a bad name. And yes, my British friend. High five. High five. Um, in this article, he reminds us that evangelical Christians voted for Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton 81% to 16%. And that evangelical Christian vote is something that politicians continue to uh, lean towards, uh, pivot towards, or grovel towards, depending upon what you're going to say. And in this article, he goes through a lot of the stuff that we've kind of talked about here on the show, where he pokes holes in a lot of the fallacies where we begin to see that Evangelicals have had to do a lot of mental gym mental and spiritual and theological gymnastics to be able to make Trump fit. So Trump does not fit. So it creates fits in them to be able to somehow make it all seem kosher. Did not really mean to use that term here but it kind of applies. And he begins talking about this and we've talked about this Dumb, dumb, dumb. Theological reading, Ugh. where they compare Trump to being Cyrus, who was a first, he was one of the first emperors in Persia, and a pagan that was used by God to bring about His purposes in the Old Testament. So, if you hear anyone bring about, uh, just, just, just go ahead and like lay the terms Trump and Cyrus next to each other. Seriously, just put your fingers in your ears and scream and run away, run away. Because this has become one of the talking points of justification that evangelicals have tried to use for Trump. Oh, 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 God can even use the pagan. God can even use the pagan. But, 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 we've also heard this, that I've heard this used again and again. Oh, if we look at David, if we look at the archetype of David, who is a man after God's heart, But David also sinned. David had multiple wives. David even had Bathsheba's husband killed so he could have her. But God loved David. Trump, David. Yeah, no. And again, when I hear people say this, I just want to be like, seriously, American Christians, your ignorance is showing. Zip it up. Your ignorance is showing. I think that is actually a huge part of what we're talking about here. Is the fact, is the fact that American Christianity, much like what the groundwork that Christianity has laid out within evangelicals, because we've talked about this in the past shows, is that evangelicals do not value education. They value listening to what you hear at church in following it at all costs, but education bad, 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 bad. Education leads to kids leaving the church. No, 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 no. Oh my God! Like, just think about this logically. Evangelicals, think about this. God, the God that created the universe, the God that created the universe and put everything in motion and made it with such intricacy that it is beautiful and vast, and complicated and mysterious. That God that God hates science, that God hates education. No, no, it's insane. It is absolutely insane for Christians to stand at a place where we are in history right now and say that education and science and the things that we can see with our eyes and understand with our brains, because again, we're supposed to be people that are made in God's image, made in the likeness of God. Male and female, he made us both. We are all made in the likeness of God. So God made us with brains, with consciousness, and the ability and intellect to be able to understand the universe that God created. I think actually God loves the fact that we understand his universe and we are interested in it and we want to study it because why isn't, in a certain sense, God, I mean, science, a study of God? Science is a study of what God has laid out before us. And Christians have learned to shun that. They've learned to shun information. They've learned to put their fingers in their ears and say, la, 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 none of this exists. If that is the God that you are following, your God is very stupid and unintelligent. Or if you want to follow a God, the God of creation the God that created the vastness of the cosmos that put everything into motion. And when we look out at the vastness of our universe and we are in awe of it. We are also being in awe of God. And we want to study this. We want to study black holes and supernovas. We want to study other galaxies and other universe. All this stuff in here, when we see this, it reminds us of God. And for Christianity To be at such a very small place, a very small point, where knowledge and reason don't matter. But superstition and fake prophecies matter more? We are at a very, very, very scary place. But that is the place we are at. And we are better than that. So as I end this broadcast, just a reminder, you can catch us on podcast at www.snarkybait.com. And I send you out into this week with the holiest amount of grace and snark and peace. Go out into the world and make a difference. Make it better now. More than later. I'm out of here. Peace.
0: WCOM is listener-supported community radio, and Snarky Faith is only possible through our sponsors. Lumen, a spiritual community of seekers, sojourners, question-askers, doubters, and skeptics, is a collective of fellow travelers that embrace the truth that all of life is sacred, hope is real, and tomorrow can be a better day than today. All are welcome. You can find more information at www.lumencommunities.com.